thank you for joining us in Finding God in Video Games. And in today's Rewind, we're doing something a little different. We're going to give out some awards for the best supporting character in a video game. You didn't even know it was award season, right? It's really not. But, I mean, when you look at some of the people who are our biggest names in games, you think of Master Chief, you think of Link, you think of Lara Croft, Commander Shepard, Bob from Accounting, Solid Snake. Wait, hold on. Let's back up that train of thought for a second. Who is Bob from Accounting, and how did he make it onto this list of epic gaming heroes? Well, all of these other gaming icons, they have a lot in common. You know, they've saved the world, some of them multiple times, just for extra style points. I don't really remember hearing anything about Bob defeating legions of enemies, or watching him heroically sacrifice himself to save billions of lives. I mean, seriously, Bob sounds like somebody who doesn't even have his own cubicle. He probably shares one with an intern in the basement. So who is Bob, and why does he belong on this list? Bob, along with Karen the Mechanic, Frank the Engineer, and Nancy the Systems Administrator, all belong on the same list as well, doing the thankless work behind the scenes that has to be done, just like all of these other brave souls. They just didn't get to do it on the front lines, because their specific missions took them elsewhere, playing a supporting role. Behind every successful Mass Effect Relay launch is somebody just kind of going like this. You know, and our video games are chock full of seemingly minor and almost invisible characters who labor out of the spotlight to ensure our heroes can keep doing what they do best. Now sure, the Master Chief gets all the credit for the epic victory at the end of every Halo, but if an unnamed mechanic didn't ensure that the Warthog stayed current on all the oil changes and prevented a maintenance and filled it with gas, it would have been a pretty short trip. The Chief just doesn't seem like the type of guy who keeps up with all that routine monthly stuff. He probably doesn't even keep his warranty maintenance plan. And, and he, gets, he gets the calls, he just doesn't answer them. From the overly chatty shopkeepers who sell us armor and supplies, to the unheralded engineers that keep our spaceships flying in the unfriendly skies, these thankless tasks are completed by typically nameless and sometimes even faceless characters who are far more critical to the success of each hero's journey than we often realize. Now, obviously, it is the coding within the game that keeps these characters at their post waiting for our hero to show up in need of weapons or repairs or simply a new quest line. It would be very problematic if they just kind of ran off and did their own thing right in our moment of need. And Maybe you've experienced that in a game before. We normally call that a glitch or a bug, and within a complex game that can create some very, very big problems. Maybe even make it possible that you can't complete the mission. And in the real world, we often experience these same issues because it can be really hard to stand in one place doing seemingly rudimentary things when the real action is out there somewhere else. I mean, seriously, who wants to just stand at a desk and wait for the 100 hours it takes for the hero to finally show up just so they can trade in their bow and upgrade it for something else? Do you even know how many Warthogs the Master Chief destroys on each level of Halo? That's a lot of maintenance plans. Don't get me started on how long Toad had to wait in that seventh castle just to tell Mario that the princess is in another one. And if you warped right past him and went straight to straight and didn't even let him tell you, well, I mean, that's just mean. I mean, he, it was the only job he had. And somewhere out there, he is still waiting for Mario to show up. It can be incredibly challenging 
to patiently labor away at your station when it seems like everyone else is getting to do the more interesting and gratifying parts of the job. This can happen at school or at work, participating in a local athletic team, or working on a group project. Even in the service of God, the same challenge exists as we often see so many other people get to participate in the parts of the ministry that some of us can only dream about. And there's a certain level of frustration that can exist as we see others engaging in the aspects of serving God that we would love to participate in, but it is either not our calling or perhaps it's not our time. The Apostle Paul is clearly experienced with this exact same level of frustration, and as an analogy, he used the human body as an example of the importance of each individual member to the success of the entire body. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 26, and he says, the body is not just one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it not of the body? I mean, if the whole body were an eye, well, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, we have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism within the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, I can practically hear you saying, Paul, 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 you know, he gets all of the accolades, so of course he is going to be a big fan of the concept of the body. I mean, he kind of wrote most of the New Testament. But we need to look at how we even got to the Apostle Paul in the first place. And the only reason we got there is because there was a humble believer who appeared for the briefest of moments in the Bible and then disappeared into the woodwork. If you look at Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 18, at Paul's conversion, there was a servant, Ananias, who was called by the Lord to go and pray for Paul so he would receive his sight. And then after that, he kind of disappears from the entire story. We don't hear from him again. Now, understanding this, that Ananias had to risk his life because he went to Paul while Paul had not yet been converted. He was public enemy number one. That's, that's, that's kind of difficult, right? I mean, Paul had been inspired by watching the brutal murder of Stephen for his crime of believing in Christ and was on his way to Damascus where Ananias lived to inflict similar judgment on the believers there. But God intervened, he struck Paul blind on his way there, and he left him at the mercy of the very believers that he had planned on arresting. Ananias was well aware of Paul's bad intentions and his reputation. He even kind of humorously felt compelled to make sure God knew that too and kind of reminded him just in case he wasn't aware. But not only was God aware of Paul's previous intentions, he had already planned his future as the missionary to the globe. And it would be Ananias, not someone flashier like Peter or James or John, one of the big names that we, we all know, who was chosen as the hand-picked servant who would reach Paul. Now, let's go one step further before we wrap this up. 
when we're looking at the book of Acts and, and this whole story, we were reading from the writings of a man named Luke. Luke is the one that wrote the book of Acts. He was responsible for writing the gospel that bears his name as well. But, you know, we don't really hear much about his personal ministry except for his actions as a scribe and a companion to Paul. He was present for all of the same sufferings that afflicted the Apostle Paul through those missionary voyages. He continued to use the word we when enduring challenges. Like he said, we were shipwrecked in Acts 27. Unfortunately, it's kind of necessary if you're going to provide a first-person account of everything that transpired. As a matter of fact, when Paul was writing one of his final recorded letters before his death, these sad words are found. Only Luke is with me. After a long, adventurous, and dangerous life of serving the Lord, Paul was in prison and had been abandoned or left by all those who he had traveled with along the way. Well, everyone except for Luke, a man who may not have recorded any miracles, may not have preached any flashy sermons, don't know that he ever tasted the spotlight, but Luke was the one who was chosen to be present for all of it, to record it, and ensure generations of believers for all of these years after would receive insight and enlightenment from his detailed account of the life of Christ and of the early church. His acts as a scribe far outlasted anything he could have done in his present day, and we all owe much of our insight to his dedication to performing what surely seemed at the time to be a thankless task, especially if you've ever, you know, had to write with ink and feathers and all that good stuff. Doesn't sound like fun. Very few people ever be placed at the forefront of things, the way that Paul or Peter or John were. But all along the way, their path to achieving the mission they were given was guided by the faithful service of lesser known but critical servants such as Ananias, Simon the Tanner, or Lydia the Cloth Dealer, all of whom played critical roles in the advancement of the gospel by their obedience on this seemingly smaller stage. Now, I don't know what you're called to do or what size mission field you're meant to plow, but I do know this. There are no useless parts of the body of Christ, and there are no small roles on this stage. God has plans for each of us, some of which may be less visible than others, but they are all vital to the success of the local body of believers, as well as his larger plans for the entire world. I highly doubt that Luke fully understood how critical the records that he had been keeping would eventually be. It's unlikely that Ananias knew what Paul was eventually going to become. But without their humble obedience, the world would have gone without the Apostle Paul and two of the most critical books in the entire New Testament. The obedience of each one of us are connected, no matter how small the role we seem to be filling is. And the importance of what we have been called to do may not even reveal itself until long after we have passed on. But I want to encourage you today that even if you only lead one soul to the knowledge of Christ or record one message that the Lord has placed on your heart, as long as you are faithful to what the Lord has called you to do, you have fulfilled your purpose in the body of Christ. Just like all those nameless shopkeepers and mechanics and engineers that we just run past in our video games until we actually need them, you are essential and critical, and we could not survive in the body of Christ without you.